We have been in a series on relationships that I uh, have called This Is Love. And uh, the first two weeks we talked about marriage. And then we talked, uh, we, we had a, a Easter sermon, resurrection sermon last week. And then uh, today we are speaking to the singles. And I subtitled my message, Single and Ready to Mingle. Okay? And so this is a message on how to be single and happy. And uh, these are not mutually exclusive terms. Uh, at least they don't have to be. And, uh, the, you know, there's this underlying expectation that if you're a Christian, you have to get married or there's something wrong with you. Okay? And I've spoken to lots of single people who feel second class or, or that, that God is somehow withheld from them because they haven't gotten married yet. And then there are others who are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum who are repelled by the idea of marriage because they have maybe seen really bad marriages in their life. Maybe they were brought up in a home with a really bad marriage, or they have a faulty view of what marriage is supposed to be. For example, they think people who are married shouldn't have any conflict ever. They should be in perfect harmony all the time. And so when they get around a married couple and they have a fight or an argument or, or, a, or a strong disagreement, it turns them off. To the idea of marriage because they had a faulty understanding of, of what marriage should actually look like in the first place. And then there are others who are on, you know, th th then there's others that just, uh, they have this idea of marriage that is absolutely unattainable. And we're going to talk about that uh, in, in a little bit. Uh, I'm here to tell you that you can be single, content, and fulfilled. Okay. And singleness is not the plan B for the Christian life. Okay. And those of you who are married, okay, I don't want you to check out because you feel like this doesn't apply to you. And here's why. Uh, first of all, the single people had to sit through two weeks of messages to the married people. So you can sit through a message for the single people, okay? We're a family, right? We're, we're, we're a group. We're a group. So we, we, uh, uh, we, we can sit through this even though it doesn't directly apply to us. And then secondly, a lot of these principles are applicable whether you're single or married. And they will be helpful if implemented properly. All right. So if you if you can find something that can pertain to you in anything. So uh, let's let's look at Exodus chapter number thirty-two, and we're going to be uh, reading verse number one. If you have your Bibles, if not, we uh, have it up on the screen for you to read along. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him. Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I want to read this verse uh, in the uh, message uh, version as well, because I like what it says there. When the people realized that Moses was taking forever, can everybody say forever? forever. You ever feel like God is taking forever in your life? I know I've been there. Uh, when they realized that Moses was taking forever in coming down off the mountain, they rallied around Aaron and said, do something. Make gods for us who will lead us. That Moses, the man who got us out of Egypt, who knows what's happened to him? Church, we must learn how to deal with delays in our lives because people do stupid things during delays. Yes. Okay? Just going to be honest. People make decisions that they regret for the rest of their lives during delays. When people feel like God is taking forever in answering their prayer, they tend to make decisions that they can't undo and end up paying the price for those decisions 
for a long, long, long time. Maybe you have been there before. Delays can bring out the inner idiot in people if they don't learn how to manage them and deal with them properly. Okay? Oftentimes, when you get frustrated and impatient during a delay in your life, you make decisions that actually prolong what you're going through. You're getting frustrated because something's taking too long, and so you take matters into your own hands and you make choices and decisions that ultimately prolong that thing you hate so much anyway. So you might as well go through it with the right perspective. Amen? For some reason, the city thinks it's a good idea to pick up trash at 8 in the morning in the middle of rush hour and while (laughs) everybody's trying to get their kids to school. And so there's times where I'm driving the kids to school and we'll get stopped behind a garbage truck. And so what I do is I get impatient, I get frustrated, I I, want to get my kids to school on time, and so what I'll try to do is take a detour around the street where the trash truck is, okay? And a lot of times what happens is it takes me longer to get the kids to school when I take that detour because I end up getting stuck behind another trash truck on another street, okay? Sometimes when we try to get out of the delay season in our lives, we end up going in circles and taking longer towards the destination anyway. When we interpret that God is taking too long to come through, our inner voice tells us the exact same thing the Israelites told Aaron. They said, do something. When we're in a delay, our inner voice tells us, Do something. God's taking forever. God's not coming through. God has forgotten about you. God is too busy taking care of everybody else, so you need to do something. And we try and take things into our own hands. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites just a few months after they were miraculously delivered from slavery from the Egyptians. Think about this for a moment. Just a few months before this story took place, God supernaturally parts the Red Sea for them and causes it to crash down on Pharaoh and the Egyptian army while the Israelites pass through the sea unharmed. And the Israelites escape and then travel to Mount Sinai. And it's here in Mount Sinai that God calls Moses up the mountain to give him the Ten Commandments. And the people thought they were waiting for Moses, but they weren't waiting for Moses at all, were they? They were actually waiting on God. They were waiting on God to give Moses the Ten Commandments and give him the release to go back down to the mountain. Because God was taking forever, in their opinion, the Israelites turned to Aaron, Moses' brother, and demanded that he make a God for them, little g, to lead them. What's crazy about this is that the cloud of glory was resting on the mountain that Moses was on which was in plain sight of the Israelites. Every one of the Israelites could see the cloud of glory resting on the mountain that Moses was on. The cloud of glory was God's visible presence to the Israelites. The Bible says that God led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And although they could literally see God's visible presence, they still asked Aaron to make them an idol to lead them. That tells me that you can see God's presence at work around you, but still idolize things in your life and place them in priority over God in your life. That tells me that you can come to church week after week 
and lift your hand in worship, but idolize things in your life and put them in priority over God in your life. That tells me that you can have an encounter with God and still worship other things. That tells me that you can be led by the little gods in your life that become more important to you than being led by the Lord. Let's continue reading in Exodus 32. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Verse 4, He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. We need to be very careful when we feel like God is delaying bringing the right one into our lives that we don't turn dating into our golden calf. Wow. That's right. We need to make sure that in that time of delay, when we feel like God is taking forever too long to bring that one into our life, that we don't create an idol out of dating in our lives. Because dating can become an idol. Okay? Having a desire to be married and have a family one day is totally good. And I went into detail about how God created marriage and created it to be a good thing. And He gave us those desires. But just like anything in life that's good, we can easily turn it into an ultimate thing in our lives. And that's when it can become an idol. Because the idea of being alone can terrify us, can't it? Dating can start to consume our thoughts and our feelings and our desires. Uh, and when this starts to happen, we start to compromise our values and convictions. If you feel like you always have to have somebody, dating might be an idol in your life. We cross boundaries with people and do things we promised God that we would save for marriage. We look at things on the internet to give us a temporary fix for our loneliness and emotional pain. Or we go into the extreme opposite direction and create this image of who the one is that is humanly unreachable, don't we? <laughs> our standards are so high that every time someone comes into our life that we could potentially date, we nitpick and find something we don't like about that person and say, he doesn't, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't fit my standards, so see ya. She doesn't fit my standards, so I'm going to move on. And we do that over and over and over and over. And nobody, nobody can attain to the standards that we have in our mind and in our heart. And no one is perfect. And we're never satisfied, no matter how great that person is. Priscilla and I are watching Seinfeld right now. Uh, we, we, we watch it before we go to bed. And, um, you know, and I like the show, and I think it's funny uh, but I've realized that uh, <laughs> I've realized that uh, Jerry he nitpicks. He does this very thing that I'm talking about with the people that he dates in the show. For those of you that have seen the the show, you uh, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so I did a li little research on old Jerry and found out that he had 62 girlfriends during his nine year run with his show, but only three of them not including Elaine, lasted as his girlfriend for more than one episode, okay? And he had some ridiculous reasons for breaking up with his girlfriend. For, for example, one of them, he broke up with one girl because she ate her peas one at a time. That's why he broke up with her. 
He broke up with another girl because she liked a commercial about cotton dockers that he couldn't stand. And so he couldn't move on with this girl because she liked a commercial about cotton dockers that he absolutely hated. And so he broke up with this girl. So let's get back to the message here. The text tells us that the people started giving credit to the golden calf for delivering them from the Egyptians. Idolatry is trying to find salvation in something outside of Jesus. Some of us think that if we find the one, all of our problems, all of our issues, all of our loneliness will somehow disappear and go away. And essentially, we're putting our hope for salvation in that person. And that's a lot to put on one person, right? And that could not be further from the truth. Because here's what I know. If you're unhappy and unfulfilled as a single person, you're going to be unhappy and unfulfilled as a married person. Okay? You can change your circumstances, but if you don't deal with your heart, you're going to carry what you're feeling. You're going to carry those issues wherever you go. You can travel the world and your issues will follow you. You can date multiple people and your issues will follow you. You can get married and your issues will follow you. If dating has become an idol in your life, you need to repent. You need to remove it from your heart before you're ready to start dating or you're never going to be happy and single. And so we're going to talk about three things in how you can be single and happy. Okay? Number one, to be single and happy, you need to view your singleness as a gift. You need to view your singleness as a gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing this. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways. Those of, you that are, those of you who are married, can you say amen? Simpler life, a <laughs> little bit simpler. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. You know, some single people view their singleness as a dreadful cross to bear. And let me let you in on a secret. Everyone can tell, okay? Everyone can tell. A gift is something you cherish. A gift is something you value. A gift is something that you are grateful for. Paul tells us that he viewed his singleness as a gift from God. Just as marriage is a gift from God, if you're single today, for those of you who are sitting in here that you are single, that is a gift from God. It is not a curse from the enemy. It is a gift from God. And when you view singleness as a gift, you can be at peace and enjoy your life so much more. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself or meditating on what you don't have, appreciate this season of singleness that the Lord has provided for you. Amen? Amen. When I was in Bible school, we had a rule okay, that we were not allowed to date while we were in school. And so I don't know about you, but when there's a rule in place, it makes that thing that you're not supposed to do even more enticing, doesn't it? I have two young kids, and, and they show me that. They exemplify that every single day of their lives. And so I started having feelings for Priscilla about midway through our first year of Bible school. And then I found out that she, and she had feelings for someone else. And so during that summer, I kind of got over her and moved on. And then we come back to school in the fall, and then I find out she likes me. Okay? I find out she has the hots for me. And so from that moment on, it was... It was really, really difficult for me to 
suppress those feelings. It was really, really difficult for me to not act on those feelings because they, I wanted to honor the rules. You know what I mean? I'm going to Bible school preparing to be a preacher. I need to at least be able to follow some rules. And so I was trying to do that, but it became so difficult. And then what made it even more frustrating is I would watch Priscilla and I felt like she, it wasn't even hard for her. Okay. It, she was just going through life all happy. And, and looking back, I wish that I had viewed my singleness as more of a gift yeah. because I would have enjoyed that time in my life a little bit more instead of constantly wishing, you know, hoping and looking towards that day that we graduated so that I could ask her to be my girlfriend. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until we graduated and I moved to San Antonio to help start a, uh, to help be a part of a team that planted a church in San Antonio. And she moved to Ireland to, to be a part of a team that helped plant a church there that I started to finally enjoy my singleness and my emotional life became so much more healthy when I finally did that. You know, sometimes I feel like there's a feeling, especially in the church, like your life doesn't really start until you get married, right? We'll see someone who's a little older and still single and we might think, I wonder what's wrong with them. They seem normal, you know? Why can't they find someone? They have a good personality and you know, I mean, they have, they're nice, you know, and, and we start to have these thoughts go through our head. There's almost this thing within the church that says God's path of blessing for everyone is that you get saved, you go to a Christian college, you get married, you have kids, and then you get to live the rest of your life. But that's not how it happens for everyone. And that's not God's will for everyone. Some people are called to a life of celibacy. Some people, which means that you, you're, you're called to stay single. You're called to, 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 to not get married. Okay? Some people have that gift to not get married. And you can have an amazing life of celibacy. Because if God has gifted you to be celibate, He's going to empower you to live that out. Just like if He's called you to be married, He's going to empower you to live that out. Okay? Jesus was celibate. Jesus did not marry, and he is the perfect human being. The apostle Paul was single. Some some think, some scholars believe that he was uh, a widow, uh, uh, but either way, there was a large portion of his life that he was single, and he lived a very impactful, fulfilled life, wouldn't you say? He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted all sorts of churches. And although some are called to a life of celibacy, more often than not, we will be called to seasons of celibacy, meaning seasons of singleness. And when we are, we need to view those seasons as a gift from God. Tim Keller said this about singleness. The Christian perspective on singleness is almost unique. Unlike traditional societies, Christianity sees singleness as, a, as good because the kingdom of God provides the most lasting possible legacy and heirs. Unlike sex and romance-saturated Western society, Christians see singleness as good because our union with Christ can fulfill our deepest longings. See, our culture tells us that only someone else can fulfill our deepest longings. But the Bible tells us Our Christian worldview tells us that Christ is the only one that can fulfill our deepest, strongest longings. Amen? Amen. We're talking about how to be single and happy. Number two, plant yourself. 
Plant yourself. This means being content. Okay? Contentment means your life is enough. That's what contentment means. Contentment means your personality is enough. Contentment means your skin color is enough. Contentment means your gifts and talents are enough. Contentment means that your singleness is enough. It means that you and Jesus are enough. Being content means that you don't want anyone else's life. Being content means you're not jealous of someone else's life and you don't desire to live out someone else's life. Being content means that you don't view someone else's Instagram stories and wish in your heart that that was you. Being content means that I'm okay with what God did in our church on Easter Sunday. And I don't wish that God did in our church what he did for someone else's church that I saw posted by another pastor on Easter afternoon. It means that I'm content and I'm satisfied and I'm happy with God, what God did with the Grace Place NYC. And I'm not looking anywhere else and saying, God, I, I know you did something great in my church, but I wish you did what you did in his church or in her church or in that city or in that town. Amen. Contentment means you're okay with who you are. You're comfortable in your own skin. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Who wants to be blessed in here? You want to be blessed? Most of you? I know I want to be blessed. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. I hope this isn't too offensive, but we've got some flaky people in the church. I'm just going to lay that out there. We've got some flaky pastors too. We've got some flaky people in the church. Okay? We've got some young people who can't commit to anything. Okay? They can't commit to a job. They can't commit to a church. They can't commit to a friendship. They can't keep their commitments. They make promises and plans and cancel if something better comes along. We've got a drought of commitment in our culture, don't we? We struggle with commitment. People love the flashy. People are drawn to the quick fix. People want instant gratification. They want something. They want it now, and they don't want to wait. But the people who leave great legacies in our world are people who plant themselves and commit to something and see that thing come through in their life when things go good and when things get bad, okay? People who last, uh, who leave a lasting legacy are people that commit to something and hell or high water, they see it through. See, God isn't impressed by our yearly goals, okay? That's to impress everybody else. God isn't impressed by our yearly goals. He's not impressed by us getting emotionally hyped up during a service and making these big promises to Him. He's not impressed by those things. God is looking for a long obedience in the same direction. He's looking for people who will make those goals, but then they'll take small steps in fulfilling those goals. He's looking for people that will make those big promises, but then they'll make a a small decision after small decision to fulfill those promises. Amen? People who have planted themselves continue to move forward in obedience after the emotions have worn off, after the hype has been pushed to the side. Even when things are not happening the way you envision them, they keep pushing through. Even when you hit roadblocks and detours, people who have planted themselves continue moving in obedience despite these things coming against them. 
In other words, God is looking for faithfulness more than giftedness. God is looking for faithfulness more than giftedness. Are you gifted? Are you talented? Well, your gift and your talent is useless to me if you're not faithful. Okay? Right? You can be gifted and you can be talented, but you can't be used by God if you're not faithful. Okay? So God is looking for faithfulness more than giftedness. So be faithful when you win and be faithful when you lose. And be faithful when you see God's power. And be faithful when you feel pain. Be faithful when no one's looking. Be faithful when you're single. Be faithful when you're married. Be faithful when you have nothing to gain from it. Be faithful when you're mistreated. Be faithful when everyone is singing your praises. Be faithful when everyone is attacking you. Be faithful when everybody is complimenting you. Be faithful when everyone's backbiting you. Amen? And when you are faithful, God will make you fruitful. And when you are faithful... God is the one who will make you fruitful. Don't allow yourself to be put in a box that says millennials and Gen Zers can't commit to anything and they're irresponsible. Change the narrative for your generation. Amen? Many Christians desire to be fruitful, yet they're not faithful. Yet they can't commit, yet they can't plant themselves, but they want to be fruitful in their life. You cannot be fruitful without being planted. Okay? There's no tree, no plant that bears any fruit that is not planted in the ground and has allowed the roots to dig deep. It just doesn't happen. Plant yourself and develop a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Christ. Because if we'll grow in our love and affection for Jesus, we'll be able to live out our singleness without having a devastating sense of unfulfillment. Plant yourself in a local church and be dependable to be called on to serve. Make yourself available. You see, your schedule is never going to open up. You've got to make yourself available. Okay? Be faithful. Help fulfill the vision of your church. Walk in God's calling in your life while you're single. Don't wait to get married to to do what God wants you to do. Do it right now. Plant yourself right now. Amen? Amen. All right. So I have one more point, and uh, I'm going to have my beautiful wife. She's going to, we're tag team preaching today, and so she's going to bring us our third and final point this morning. I'm really, really excited to preach this part, and it's funny because Stephen asked me if I would do this last message, and we're talking about how to be single and happy, and I'm a happy person, but the way that God has moved in my life and the way that he has orchestrated my life to this point, I've had to get over some really unhappy circumstances. And so a lot of my story, a lot of my testimony is through overcoming. It's not just kind of this happy-go-lucky, I'm skipping with the Lord and we're seeing rainbows and unicorns. A lot of it is me hitting major walls, me having outside circumstances that I can't control and wondering, God, where are you? And then seeing him even through it all. And so um, I, I had written it. I'm like, Stephen, is this like doom and gloom? Because we're talking about how to be single and happy. And a lot of it's like, I can just be like, get over it and do it, you know. But um, God has softened my heart since. <laughs> and, um, and I know he's so good, you guys. And, and I know that 
that even though some things in this life are hard, he is good. And even though some things in this life are hard, there is joy that can't be given by anybody else but through him. And so I'm very excited about this, this passage. And, and this, um, this, uh, the third point is to serve the Lord without distraction. Stephen talked about like me going to Ireland and him going to San Antonio. Really, my key was, and we liked each other for five years without dating. So um, it was a five-year process, and a lot of that was maybe we were going to get together and then someone would move away, and we're like, okay, you, you continue to do what you're doing for the Lord. I'm going to continue to what I'm doing, and if, and if we like each other in, in a year, we'll, then we'll get together, and then that time would come along, and God would be like, well, you're going to go to Ireland, and, and inside my mind, I'm thinking, I want to do all of these things without distraction, and because I knew that I loved him and that I wanted to be with him, he was going to be a distraction. So I was like, okay, we could just one more year, okay? We'll hold it off again for just a little bit longer. If we've lasted this long and you're still going to like me when I come back, then we're good. And then if I still like you, then we're good. But if we don't like each other, then it wasn't meant to be, you know? And so a lot of my life and a lot of the things that I, I attain to do or want to do I ask the Lord first. God, who am I? What do you want? What, who do you want me to be? And if anything else doesn't fit that mold, I remove distraction. It, I, I can leave it. Um, I don't know if it's been my upbringing. I don't know if, if it's just how I'm wired, but I, I do have that ability to do that. And I'm not saying that people don't. I'm saying that when you decide that God is number one and he's the only way to get you where you need to be, then you're going to be able to make those hard decisions to say, I will remove that. I'll throw that distraction out the window. Absolutely not. God, yes. Is this fit this mold? No. Then go. Right? And so that's how we have to begin to live our lives. And it seems intense and it seems severe and black and white. But when it comes to who God's called you to be, sometimes you have to be that intense. Sometimes you do have to draw the line in the sand and say, do I want what God has for me or do I not? And if I do, if this does not play a role in God's plan for my life, then I'll throw it out. And the only way to know God's plan for your life is really simple, is to know God and to get alone with him and have an intimate time with him. I'm going to uh, read 1 Corinthians 7, 32, 35. This is in the message. I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all its nuts and bolts in domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments for God. I'm trying to be helpful and make it as easy as possible for you not to make things harder. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. I had this little quick memory. He told me don't go off on tangents. This is a little tiny one. I'm sorry. Okay. He's like, stick to your notes. Um, I would do this thing. Um, Every Valentine's Day as a single person, I got saved when I was 15 and the Lord clearly spoke to me and said, I don't want you to date until you're ready to get married. And that was until I was 24 years old and we finally dated after all of those years. So it was from 15 to 24. And every Valentine's Day I would buy flowers, I would get like votive candles, and then I would go to my room and I would open my Bible, light the candles, and I would have Valentine's Day with the Lord. because I, and, and I used to think like I was super like strong, single, loved it. And then I went back and read some diary entries as a single person person and 
I was pretty miserable as a single person. I mean, at least I didn't show it outward, but like all of my poems and like my writings to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, when will he show himself? You know, but I, and I, so I did have that longing. I wasn't devoid of a longing of a partner uh, or of, of romance. But when that, when that would come through, when that need would come through, when I would feel that urge to want to be with somebody, I turned to Jesus. I got alone with the Father. And that Valentine's Day come along and you hear, you know, you, I don't, Facebook wasn't along around that time, but you hear people telling their stories and people buying flowers. I was like, you know what, God, I'm going to get alone with you. I feel that urge to not want to be lonely and I'm going to get it from somewhere else if I don't turn to you. And so I would teach myself. I would practice going to the Father. And so I would do that and just get flowers, <laughs> candles and be like, hi, Lord, happy Valentine's Day, you know, and just pray and worship with him. I know I had that memory. Anyway, I'll move on. Sorry for that tangent. Okay, finding singleness as a gift can be hard to accomplish if instead of finding your ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, you are trying to busy your desire in your job, friendships, hobbies, or exercise. Like exercise is the thing right now, right? I mean, I see a ton of Instagram and Facebook posts of people like posting their hour by hour, day by day, you know, exercise updates, which is great. We're rooting for you, right? But but sometimes it's like, you were there all day for like a week, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I know you have a job, like my goodness. Um, but people busy themselves, right? We can busy ourselves to try to quiet down certain things that really nag us and that are really weighing on our hearts. So we're like, you know what? We can call ourselves Christians and we can love Jesus and we can come to church on Sunday. But if our day to day, when we start to feel that emptiness and that, that, that being aware of that hole, we go and we turn to other hobbies and we don't work to fill it in with Jesus, we're going to work even harder to build, get more hobbies, exercise a little bit more. And I'm not saying any of those are bad. All of those things are wonderful and great. But if you're looking back at your life and thinking, the last month, how much exercise have I done and how much time have I spent with Jesus? How much hobbies have I picked up? How much time have I spent with Jesus? How many times did I go to Michael's and how much time did I go to the Father? You know, and so we've got to be able to measure that and be able to see, God, where do my priorities lie? Do I really want you? And all of that is wrapped up in how to have a distractionless life. When we get close to the Father, our eyes, we'll see him in everything. We will. You'll, you'll see him on the subway. You'll see him as you walk. You'll see him at the corner bodega. If you get close to Jesus and he, you spend your time with him and you get in your word, you'll see him in everything. And so it's easy to pull your attention when you, and, and you say you do exercise, right? And you'll see him there and you think, you know what? God's speaking to me about that person. Let me go talk to him. And then exercise then becomes a, a mission field, right, for the Lord. The gift of singleness is meant for you to realize your earthly freedoms of not being a husband or a wife, a mother or father, um, and it will give you a lot more time to further the kingdom of God here on earth. If and when God brings you out of singleness, you won't ever have that time again. We have to view it as a gift of singleness because if we view it as a curse, we're not going to use it for what it's meant to be used for. If you love the Lord and you say, God, I dedicate my life to you, my heart is open to you, then and you're single, then that is an amazing and incredible time for you to do the work of the Lord, undistracted, right? Unfiltered. And so, um, by, by any other kind of responsibilities. It is your time to say, I've got a little bit of free time to help people, to disciple people, to encourage people. You have a little bit more time that way. If you're single and you are more exhausted by earthly work than heavenly work, it's time to check our priorities. 
We really have to, because all of us do have to work. We all have to make money. We all have bills to pay, right? But at the end of the day, when you stand before the Father, God isn't saying, did you pay your bills on time? I mean, all of those things are important. He's going to ask you, who, what did you do with what I gave you? Right? At the end of our life, he's not going to say, did you get that brownstone you wanted? <laughs> you know? He's not going to say, um, you know, did you get that job you wanted? He's going to say, there were many faces before you. Who knew me because of you? What gifts, the gifts that I had given you, what did you do with that? We have to be concerned with heavenly work. If you are single and you are more exhausted by your social life than an intimate life with the Father, you're going to still find yourself empty. To not be empty, intimacy with Jesus is necessary. It's necessary because nobody else is going to do that for you. Not even even me being married does that fully fulfill me. That shouldn't be on my husband. That shouldn't be on my kids. I love my kids to death. But if I continue to find ways to find my fulfillment and their love for me, they're going to fall short because we're all human and we all disappoint. You know, we all disappoint. Anytime I tell them to go to bed and they walk back out again five minutes later and I'm like, I told you to go to bed. They will definitely disappoint, (laughs) right? I can't find my fulfillment in imperfect people. If you are single and you are more exhausted by personal hobbies than what your church family has going on to reach the community, then you might be spending your time unwisely. We have to live life in light of the knowledge that it is short and that Jesus is coming back one day. Do we believe that or do we not? He's coming back and people need to be loved and reached for the gospel. We have to live our life in light of that truth. Life's short. How do I love the people outside of here that's going to honor what Jesus did on the cross? How do I do that? Can I tell you that it's hard to get our children up at 7 a.m. on Sunday? I'm going to be a little bit honest here. And have them be at church to set up with us at 8.30 in the morning. Every Sunday, we've been doing this for almost three years, and Ticho and Michelle's children. Every Sunday we set up at 8.30 in the morning and they don't leave till we're done tearing down church at 2 p.m. Our children are here for five and a half hours. That's doing the practical side of God's work and we love it and we'll do it and I'll spend my life, I'll exhaust my life doing that, but I'm exhausting my kids too. And we do, and we make it fun for them. We have all these, we have like corners, like game corners and, and eating corners and we try to make it fun for them. And you know what? They're having a blast. I'm not sorry about it. God's honoring that and honoring them, right? But that does not negate our motherly and fatherly duties to our kids during all of this. We still have to make sure our kids are safe, fed, and okay. Sometimes they, they run around the corner like, I haven't seen one of them in like 20 minutes. <laughs> Can, where, where are the kids, right? So we're constantly having to like do, look, we're, we're setting up, we're, we're doing this and making sure the kids are okay. We do it all and we do it completely distracted, both sides, but we do it. We move along, we move it. And, and I say that to say this, if you are single in this church, you don't have to worry about your kids. And this is a shameless plug, come help us set up for church. <laughs> you don't have to worry about your kids running around and how long they've been in the bathroom. What I'm saying is, is that even though you're married, we still do it and we'll do it distracted, but we'll do it right? God's work still has to be done and it'll get done with or without you. 
but wouldn't it be great with you? That's doing family together, right? And if you're single here and you don't have that kind of distraction, I'm not saying that job isn't hard. I'm not saying that you don't have a busy life. What I am saying is, is that you are in a very specific time in your life that God, the Word of God, this isn't the Bible, the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 7, 3, 2, Paul says, this is your time to serve and to do it without distraction. Ask God, what do you want me to do with this time of singleness? And how do I be purposeful and intentional with it? It was hard to heed the call of God to move cross country, not because New York was unfamiliar or that it was expensive and we had no money or because we didn't know anyone here. Honestly, the hardest thing to overcome was taking my kids away from the comfort of being surrounded by their grandparents and their family that they were close to and loved. That was the hardest choice to move here to New York to plant a church. And I say this because of this, your obedience and faith have to overcome more obstacles and considerations when there are more players in the game. God has you in a very specific place right now if you're single, that when God says move out of faith, you can actually do it. And we like to complicate things again. We'll think, well, I can't just leave my job. I can't do that. You don't have to uproot children. You don't have to consider another person. Is this your call as well? Right now, it's you and the Lord. And right now, this is a really exciting time for you to get alone with God and say, God, what would you have me do with this time? And it will be fun, hard, and magnificent. If you were single in our church, it is a great benefit to the body of Christ because you have availabilities that married or widowed with children or the elderly do not have. You have the capacity to serve the vision of what God is doing here at the Grace Place that some just don't have, which means the capacity for true joy is available to you, which comes when we place ourselves in the will of God instead of fight it. A joy that comes when we finally realize that He alone is our true fulfillment and the work that comes with it is good, fulfilling, and hard. I love this passage from the Livology book. He says this, It doesn't mean singleness is easy. It may be challenging. I have the gift of teaching. I believe it's what God put me on this planet to do. To be honest, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's labor, it's brutal at times, and more often than not, it's discouraging. However, there's something deep inside me that says, I was made to do this. If you are single in this church right now, you were made to be there. You're made to do it, and God is going to equip you. He has equipped you. God is going to guard and protect your heart if you allow him, and God is going to set you up to have a single life that is fulfilling and that has fruit. God has fruit for you in this time. But you know, the gift of singleness is not a gift that typically lasts forever. There's a light at the end of that tunnel, you know. You may have the gift of singleness. Um, You may have the gift for a time, but not forever or you may be widowed or divorced and get that gift later in life. Livology said that, and I thought that was really great. I mean, that's not great, but it's like, it's not forever. You know, and and you can be married and get that gift of singleness later on in life. We don't know, but we can't live our life in light of what we don't know. We live our life in light of what we do know, and that if God has called you to be single, he's also equipped you to give and be where you're at and be planted and be present and where God's called you in that time in life. If you are single and spend most of your dream time planning how you and your hypothetical dream wife or husband are going to conquer the world for Jesus, 
but you've not spent time dreaming or making plans on how to accomplish God's great plan for you in the single here and now, you're gonna miss out on major growth opportunities that will lead to fulfillment and, ha and the happiness that you're seeking. You know, a lot of us are dreaming and planning and wondering what our life will be like as a married or as a mother, or as a father, and we stop dreaming about what God wants us to do right here, right now, where we're at. We're not asking God, God, what would you have me do right now? We're thinking, God, what are you gonna have me do later? And God's saying, I'm gonna use you now. We've gotta open up our hearts to those possibilities because they're possible for you. We were made for complete fulfillment in Jesus. That is attainable no matter what season of life you're in. Finding a spouse is not going to somehow make it better between you and the Father. Being in a relationship isn't somehow going to give you lasting, um, I lost my place, lasting joy the way that Jesus can. Euphoria can only last for so long once you have settled in a relationship with someone. It makes happiness temporary turning off and on based on what someone does and doesn't do for you. Jesus made a grand sacrificial gesture of love for you, ensuring that it will last through the ages, guaranteeing a place with him forever. Jesus's love is not fickle. It does not come with an on and off switch, but we seem to come with that switch, don't we? That on and off switch, right? And that switch becomes easier and easier to access the more distance we place ourselves between us and Jesus. And I will say this, some of us have even given access to that switch to other people. It's no longer us who are flipping that switch between do I want God or not? Do I follow his plans or not? Some people have that access to us and they'll flip that switch on and off regardless if they've made us mad, hurt, angry, they left us lonely, or they come into our lives and they give us temporary happiness and we're like, God, we don't need you right now. Flip the switch. Jesus does not have that switch and his love is eternal, constant, and lasting. And no matter if our switch is on and off, his is permanently on for us. My deep moments of lasting happiness has always come off the back of a major sacrifice or a laying down of a personal desire. Because my sacrifice is a reaction to what Jesus did for me on that cross, the joy is a lasting and it's deep. He made the first move. He loved me first. And so I will strive to love him fully. And that's the gift that God's given you, is that he's loved you first. Regardless if you're single or not, regardless if a prayer has been answered or not, he loves you and he loved you first. He sacrificed and he sacrificed first. And our love is a reaction to what he's already done for you. And he's just saying, can we have a mutual relationship? Can I enter into this relationship with you? And he asks permission. And it is our honor and our joy to say, absolutely. What would you have me do in this time, Lord?